Hello, and welcome to the Good Law Project podcast. We're an organisation dedicated to using the law to build a better world. My name is Polly, and I'm part of the team here. Every month, we host a live stream on an important political, social or cultural issue featuring amazing guests and hosted by one of our team. This podcast is our way of letting you catch up in case you missed the action the first time round, or just want to listen again. to have you with us this afternoon for our cost of living crisis live stream um, on what is fuel poverty awareness day so stark statistics coming out of 8.4 million people being in fuel poverty from april so um bit of a depressing start for us but we've got a wonderful panel for you so we've got jan short with us who is the general secretary of the national pensioners convention We've got Belle Ribeiro Addy, MP for Streatham, and we've got Tom Brook Bullard, who is the senior policy researcher at Citizens Advice. So, as I say, wonderful um, panel for you this afternoon on a really important topic. So, as I say, it's Fuel Poverty Awareness Day, but um, but that but energy is just one of many things that we need as humans, and it's just one of one part of the picture of the the cost of living crisis that we're seeing, which really is just an extraordinary uh, crisis. Uh, We've got inflation. um, That's the price at which I always think it's worth explaining, the price at which goods and services rise. So i.e. they rise in in price and um, they're rising to levels that we've not seen since the 1980s. Um, We've got interest rates being risen by the Bank of England by the highest um, amount in about the last 30 years. Food prices are up. Energy prices are up, forcing many to not heat their homes uh, during this winter, which leads people to to the risk of living in cold, dark and damp homes. We've got house prices at exceptionally high levels, along with rent prices high as well, so that people are unsure whether they're even going to be able to keep a roof over their heads. And that affects the youngest and those on low incomes very often the most. Wages are stagnating. We've got people out on the streets protesting or striking, sorry, calling for fairer wages. Um, And so in short, we know that millions of people around the country are struggling to just get through from day to day. So our panel are here today to talk about the cost of living crisis, what that means for everybody and to discuss what we can do to solve it. So the first question is, this is is this the worst cost of living crisis in a generation? And um, I'm going to put that to Belle, if that's okay with you, Belle. So is this a worst cost of living crisis that we've had in a generation? And what are your constituents coming to you with in terms of issues that they're facing? Uh, It absolutely is the worst cost of living crisis in a generation. Uh, The figures don't lie as much as the government um, does, unfortunately. And we're seeing people coming to us with, with things that you wouldn't have expected uh, before obviously over the past 10 years we've seen um, a massive decline in, in, in public spending and that's that's generally impacted people's living standards but over the past couple of years we've seen 
um, massive, massive issues in terms of the amount of support that people can get for, for regular things. So the major thing um, that's happening in a way that we hadn't uh, expected before is that people can't afford to do basic things. Uh, one of the main things we're here to talk about um, is, is energy. They can't afford to heat their homes because of the, the, the increase. Um, benefits uh, are not necessarily covering the cost of, of, of living. Wages aren't rising with, with the price of inflation. And my area of London is one which has a very high number of renters. Rents are going up. Um, no surprise because mortgages have gone up hugely. Uh, that, that, that That's happening. And actually, uh, food 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 poverty is is, is a major uh, major issue we have more food banks in this country now than we have mcdonald's and, and given that we have mcdonald's in just about every high street that just shows where we are and the idea that we'd be in this situation and what is um while slipping slowly slowly again and again the sixth largest economy in the world makes uh, no sense in a country like this uh, people can't afford working people and we have to remember this is not just people who are who are impoverished in one way or the other and may have to, uh, for some reason, be claiming benefits because they're out of work. These are people that are working. People who are working, earning a, a wage, cannot afford to feed their families, cannot afford to pay their rents and cannot afford to heat their homes. Tom, so um, so the um, citizens' advice. So from, from your perspective, do you think this is the worst cost of living crisis we've seen? And, and what sort of issues are you seeing people coming and seeking advice for? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, everything that um, Belle has said there, I, I just completely agree with. I think um, in terms of what we're seeing um, across our service, um, this, uh, the crisis that we're seeing now um, is absolutely unprecedented, at least in my lifetime. Um, I think like, one thing that we've been trying to do um, a lot more at, at Citizens Advice is to be more kind of public and share our data. And one of the kind of um, one of the things that, that that is so valuable in terms of our policy work is is our access to real time data about the issues that people are coming to us, um, uh, uh, both in our offices, but also um, on phone lines and, and and through our website. Um, and, and and I think I'll just like pick out a couple of kind of two probably two indicators which i think really um hammer home just how serious this crisis is for people on the ground um so the first one um is is cr uh, the numbers of people that we're referring to food banks um and, and charitable support so if we compare that to um the, the previous kind of uh, three years um like we, we've already surpassed um uh, uh like where we were but, at the end of each of those years, um, we passed about June this year. Um, we're referring around two people um, every minute to crisis support. So that's referring people to food banks or um, other emergency charitable support. So I think that's that's really, really serious. So that's nearly um, 170,000 people um, who we've referred um, uh, this year to, crisis, uh, to, to food banks and crisis support. Um, that's you know we're not the only people doing that as well so the you know the figure is much higher um beyond that as well you know the other one i want to kind of um hammer home and i think in many ways is, is is even more stark is is the numbers of people um who we're speaking to who are unable to top up their prepayment meters um so um this year we've see, seen more people um who can't afford to top up their prepayment meter than the whole of the previous five years combined um, we're not even at the end of December yet, and um, and, and as you can tell, like uh, uh, the, the weather is getting much much worse. And I think it's it is kind of useful to kind of reflect on 
what that means when someone's unable to top up their prepayment meter that's people kind of sitting at home in the dark that's people sitting at home who are unable to um afford to 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 heat um to uh, heat their home unable to, to to cook meals um unable to do all of the things that kind of are are um are needed for for a healthy um kind of basic lifestyle um so i think it's really yeah i would completely agree with Bell. It, this is absolutely the worst cost of living crisis that we've experienced in a generation. Thank you. And what about you, Jan? How, how do you feel? And what are your membership telling you? Well, it, uh, it is. Uh, we've been through the 70s. And of course, we were a lot younger then. You know, we had three day week and uh, planned power cuts. Uh, and you're a lot younger, you get through it. Now we're a lot older. Um, and I think for uh, what Tom has just said around prepayment meters. Our major concern is those on traditional prepayment meters, when they have no money to put on their card or their key, then it's automatically cut off. D does anybody know who those people are? Because unlike smart meters, where you're connected to your provider, uh, and they should and could do something about it, you may never see the light of day again and you you may die actually in your home so that is a major issue for us um and of course pensioners are like a lot of other people on fixed income and when you've got fixed income it doesn't take much to put your budget out of kilter you only need something to one thing to go up in price and you're struggling so older people have always made a decision in the wintertime whether to heat or eat. But we've come to a point now, I think, where there's nothing else to cut. Everything is so expensive. Um, we, older people still have mortgages. A lot of older people rent, and they rent in the private sector where there's not so many um, nice landlords as local authorities. And the whole thing around, um, you know, we, we've had people say, I've turned my heating off and I'm not going to turn it on again. That is major safety and health risk. Have other people saying, well, we'll live on sandwiches for two days a week and then cook for one day, you know. Um, and if you have no money, if you're all electric, you've got absolutely nothing. If you have a gas meter, an electric meter, maybe you can pay for one. But I think overall, you know, it's it's kind of something that as older people, although we've lived through it, you know, way, way back, this is something very, very, very different. And uh, we know people who use their bus pass through the day and they go on buses, little tours around, um, and they may have a cup of tea, a cup of coffee somewhere, and then they go home and then they go straight to bed because they just can't afford to heat their home. And those people with really complex health issues, they don't just need heat in the winter, they need it in the all year round. Yeah. Uh, and the money is only for six months. So this is going to go on and on for those people. And people who have life saving equipment in their homes. It's costing them an actual fortune. And I think at the moment, we're not seeing anything like the support that should be given. Um, you know, 
Our pensions have gone up. We don't get that money till April. By April, we don't know where inflation will be. That money is needed now. Yeah. I mean, the majority of pensioners today are on the very low basic state pension, which currently is £141 a week and will go up to 156 in April. There are other pensioners who are just above pension credit limit, a couple of pounds. And every time something goes up, they're the ones that are squeezed, they're right in the middle. Yeah. So there needs to be um, a more comprehensive look at how we, how we look at a, a better system of supporting and protecting those that are most in need. And that is any age, not just the older age uh, society of this country. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you, Jan. And that kind of quite nicely leads me on to the next question that I've got, which is around the support that people should be receiving. receiving. Um, you know, what should people be receiving and could and should the government, central and local government, should they be doing more to support people? I think, um, obviously, we should be doing whatever we can to to support people. And the unfortunate thing is that the government keep making, uh, you know, these announcements as if they are doing something to cover up for for the huge disaster that we find ourselves in. Um, they keep talking uh, about their budget, their most recent budget and how great it is and how much it's going to help uh, people. But even the little things uh, like, like you know, their so-called minimum wage is not enough to meet the, the bare minimum uh, that, that, that people have. And, and the so-called levelling up agenda, uh, for example, hasn't really included poorer places in London with the idea that things are being need to be moved to, to other places if there's not poverty in inner city areas as well. A lot of money is being is, is being spent. It has has been spent incorrectly, um, and we'd seen that right down from the pandemic, where a lot of the government's uh, and Conservative Party donors received a lot of money via contracts um, and things like that. And we're now finding ourselves in 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 an economic crisis with with a recession, and the government are now telling us there is no more money after they were able to find all of all of the money uh, for that. And in order to recuperate these funds, they are essentially uh, ta taxing people more. And this is not just the richest people; it's, it's everybody. They're causing a really really serious uh, um, um, issue in terms of the cuts that they're making right across our, our public services. There is more that they could do. Uh, to to support to support people in their everyday in their everyday living, but they're simply not doing it. And the the, the minimal energy rebates that they've put forward are, are, are just not enough. I'm somebody who'd advocate for a windfall tax, um, and a lot of people keep saying when it comes to energy, obviously a windfall tax um, is not enough. Um, I think there should be windfall taxes for as long as the windfall exists. But beyond that, we should ultimately be taking all of our public utilities back into public ownership. If these companies are making so much money off what's meant to be a public good, it's clear uh, that they shouldn't they well, they shouldn't be doing that firstly, and that all of these these funds should be recuperated when, when they make these profits, these should be put back into the service. With all of these energy companies and utility companies, what we're finding is that whenever they make this money, they're not putting it back into investing in the service. And whenever something goes wrong, the government ends up having to, to uh, pull them out of it. That's why we're seeing um, higher water bills, higher energy bills, higher 
higher um, transport bills if we even go into transport because people can't even afford to get themselves to work with the amount it costs definitely in, in the in the capital. And all we're seeing all the time is the government bailing out these larger companies when they should be investing in these services that ultimately keep the country running and keep everybody in the services and that they need. So government definitely not doing enough could be doing enough if they were thinking more about public services, funding these public services, supporting these public services, making them for the public good and ultimately um, working for people other than their, their rich mates that are shareholders and owners of these large companies. Tom, as uh, sort of a representative of one of the biggest advice organisations, your organisation tends to be the one that people turn to when they want to know what support is available. So how do you feel about the support that's provided by government and, and local authorities and whether whether they should and could be providing more? Yeah, thank you, um, Tamara. I think what, one thing I'd just like to emphasise before kind of going into um, the question around kind of whether or not there is enough support available to people is, is just to urge anyone who is um, who is worried about um, making ends meet to 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 look into what support is available to them. Like there are you know there are case there are a lot of cases where people aren't receiving the, the, the support that they are entitled to. Um, so I'd really urge people to go on our website um, and to take a look and and have a think about like the benefits that they might be entitled to. Um, or go on something like Turn to Us, um, where you can very easily like fill in your kind of broad details um, and get a sense of what benefits you might be entitled to. So I think is that something I really want to emphasise upfront. In terms of kind of the support that is already available to people, um, the, the the support that the government has announced. Um, what I would say is that like we were um, pleasantly, we were surprised, in a, a pleasantly surprised. Um, with the content of the autumn statement, um, and there were lots of good things in there. Like we were, we were very happy to see that um, that, that, that people on benefits weren't going to be seeing um, a real term um, cut in, um, in 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 their um, means tested benefit entitlements. So I think uprating benefits with inflation really positive. Really glad to see that. Um, really, really, um, it, it, it kind of cautiously, we were pleased to see. Um, the the commitment to continue the energy price guarantee even at a higher level of three thousand pounds a year, but I do think it's important to remember that three thousand well two thousand five hundred pounds a year now is what we're kind of sitting at. Um, it's important to remember that a year ago it was one thousand three hundred, um, so that is a huge difference, um, and that's why we're seeing such huge um, unaffordability in in the energy market at the moment. Um, three thousand is even more serious. Um, we're we're pleased that like in, to some extent that that has been mitigated by um, additional uh, payments to people on means tested benefits. Um, but a lot of that benefit is going to be kind of wiped out by price rises elsewhere. So I think we really do need more support. It's also really important to remember that people who need support aren't always on means tested benefits. So there's lots of people like people on no recourse to public funds. Um, um, Lots of people now in this kind of um, this is using kind of quite an old old terminology, I guess, but like the just about managing a group of people, like people on low incomes who don't receive benefits. Um, I think that that's a huge concern, and and those are people that we're going to be really, um, I think, seeing um, requiring crisis support in the coming months as well. Um, there's other things as well. I mean, we're really urging the government to 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 reconsider its real terms cut to local housing allowance. Um, as as has been mentioned before, um, like rents are already really really un, unaffordable, and, and and that's one way that it could be made more affordable to people um, in in local housing. Um, 
I, I think one thing that I really, really do want to kind of hammer home again, and we have talked about this already, but is is people on prepayment meters. Um, there are kind of these these longer term solutions that, that we were talking about before in terms of energy efficiency and things like that, um, which which are part of the picture of solving fuel poverty in the or, or reducing fuel poverty in the longer term. But in the short term, this winter, I think we really just need to think about how can we keep people on supply? How can we keep people warm? Um, and, and that's why we're really urging um, um, Ofgem and the government to consider a winter ban on energy companies um, for, for forcing people onto prepayment meters. We've got loads of evidence to suggest that like the, the proper processes aren't being followed to get people onto these prepayment meters anyway. Um, lots of people should be exempt from being on a prepayment meter, but but again, we're seeing in our case notes, people with long-term health conditions who are on prepayment meters who need, who need that um, energy in order to, to, to treat their condition, people who are being disconnected with children under five years old, all of these things shouldn't be happening anyway under the license conditions um but in the short term we just really need to to put an end to that practice for this winter um or or we really are a lot of people like already facing a lot of hardship but it will will be even worse thanks tom yeah the prepayment meter situation has been all over the media sort of in the last sort of couple of months and the dire stories that that everyone's been reading about being people being forced onto prepayment meters court warrants being um being uh, applied for by suppliers so that they, so that suppliers or their agents can force their way into people's homes literally force their way into people's homes and swap their meters for a prepayment meter if they've got as Jan said earlier like the old style meters and not a smart meter is absolutely appalling it's something that good law projects are looking into if um we are looking for people if if um if anyone who's watching today has been notified uh, by their supplier that they're considering um, a prepayment meter or considering applying for a warrant, then do contact us. We're looking into legal ways of, of challenging that. And um, and as Thomas said, we we have called along with other fuel poverty organisations as well, um, you know, for a stop to this force fitting of prepayment meters, um, you know, and, and potentially just um, because thousands of applications for warrants are being made every month into magistrates courts and, you um, so that's thousands that probably aren't being considered on a case by case basis to make sure that they are fulfilling those obligations that that Thomas just said that they they do have and making sure that people who really it wouldn't be safe for them to have a prepayment meter aren't having them fitted. Jan, so coming to you on on the same question um, in terms of the support um, that's being provided at the moment, is there more that the government central and and local government as well could be and should be doing more of i i totally agree with bell um anything that is around you know life enhancement like your energy your water housing it should be publicly owned yeah we don't own a thing in this country very much um and you're at the behest now of the global markets and global providers and they will go with their country not ours so i think you know public ownership um of energy particularly uh, is really really important uh, and bell is also right the cuts in local government uh, budgets uh, you you know you've seen real cuts in services uh, and during covid there were people um you know carers we've got older carers 
older carers who may have ill health themselves, but they're caring for someone else, yeah? Uh, and as COVID set in and people started working from home, there was very little support and help out there for carers who particularly were looking after someone with dementia. Uh, and we had um, stories of people in despair, not knowing how to cope when, you know, lockdown and that kind of thing. So the issue is around proper funding for local authorities, proper funding for public services. It was very well and good for the public servants to stand up on the front line in COVID and put their lives at risk. But now they don't want to even give them a nice, you know, a good pay rise to, to welcome them back into, you know, what is coming to normal. Uh, I think also uh, the energy companies have a, a part to play. Um, making massive profits. I mean, we're in a, a really stupid situation, I think, of taxpayers paying the energy companies to pay for our, you know, um, energy support allowance on our bills. I mean, what's that about? Uh, that shouldn't happen. It should come direct from the energy providers. They're making enough profit. There should be a percentage taken at source and put right down into the customer uh, so that the customer does actually, you know, have something and benefit from it. Uh, when we wrote to the regulator, we talked about um, removing the 5% VAT on energy. Energy is not a luxury. Energy is an essential. And 5% VAT, it will save some money, but, it, you know, when it comes off your bill, each bill or through the year, that's something. Uh, we question the cost of standing charges, you know, just for a metre to be in your house. Uh, I know they have to be maintained, they have to be read, they have to be replaced if they go wrong. But it's a huge amount of money that the energy companies are making on standing charges that could well do customers, you know, a, a, a good benefit. In terms of... Um, is it enough? No, it, it, it isn't enough because the government needs to get a grip and it needs to get control uh, of what's going on. And they, they've allowed this to happen over years. And we've been looking at sustainable energy, sustainable fuel. This budget, they've only just come out with the fact that they are going to put money into insulating homes. That should have been happening a long time ago, right? They did some and then they cut the budget and then they took it away altogether. That should be happening. That should have been happening right in the beginning. And, you know, what are they doing about sustainable fuels? And uh, they go to a COP27 and say, oh, yes, we'll sign up to that. Then they come back and say, oh, we're hoping a drift mine. Excuse me, that's fossil fuel. I don't understand where their thinking is, and I'm not sure they've got the thinking, you know, to do around it. But I think there was a lot more, not just money, but a lot more for the future. I mean, we just don't stand for the pensioners of today. We stand for people like yourselves that will retire in the future. We want them to have a better future and we want them to have, you know, sustainable energy, affordable energy. So there's a lot that the government could be doing that they're not. Uh, and I agree also with Tom in terms of 
um, we we say to people apply for pension credit even if you think you might not be entitled to it you never know right doesn't hurt to ask if you don't ask you don't know you don't get anything so no it isn't enough and it's not for long enough like i say a lot of older people need heat not just in the winter time but also throughout the year because of their uh, complex health conditions as would disabled people uh, as will young children that you know uh, need to be kept you know healthy uh, for a, you know a longer life the one thing that we picked up that isn't helpful uh, in the autumn statement was the delay on the care cap yeah uh, if you're paying for care you're paying extortionate rates for care and delaying the cap for two years just absolutely makes that <clears throat> financial burden so much more uh, um, you know I've talked about older carers older carers uh, actually have a layer of poverty on top of the role that they take as an, a carer and what we call informal or family carers actually save the government over 130 billion pounds a year which is enough actually to set up a new NHS and run it properly so there's a lot more they can do and a lot more that we want to see done by the regulator the regulator needs to start standing up for customers Thanks, Jan. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to end on. Definitely, the regulator needs to to stand up uh, for customers. You know, they're, they're, that is obviously their role. You know, their their responsibility is first and foremost to consumers. Yes, part of that is making sure that the market is is stable, um, and um, but also you know it is to is to the vulnerable as well. So um, couldn't echo that more. Um, you saying about dementia? My nan had dementia. I can't imagine what people must have gone through um, caring for somebody with dementia during the pandemic. Um, that must have been um, really really tough for people. Um, and also, so my background is as a fuel poverty officer in local government and fuel absolutely is not a luxury. I always think that if we have no energy, we are in a cold, damp stone box. That's basically a cave. That's basically what people go back into if they're in fuel poverty. And if you go into a home that's not being heated, you feel the difference in the cold. It's not just a you know a home that's that's normally heated. It's cold, but when you go into a home that's not heat, being heated at all, the, the, the brickwork is cold to the house, and it just it has that fridge like feel. It's it's completely different. So um, so yeah. Um, what I was going to ask next was um, I thought Bell maybe you might have a view on this first was that. The cost of living crisis and the sort of the reason we're in a cost of living crisis, it's a it's a global issue. Governments around the world have brought in um, support packages and measures because there's a cost of living crisis. Um, you know, we that research has shown that Brexit has put um, where's my statistic on this, but um, has put an average of 210 pounds um, on. Sorry, has put 210 pounds average household bill um, and obviously when we talk about energy then often the government will talk about um, Russia invading Ukraine and how that has affected the energy market. I wonder whether you have a thought on the background to this cost of living crisis and whether Brexit and, and Ukraine do have as 
much of a part to play as maybe sometimes we, we're sort of told? Well, it has actually definitely had an impact, but not to the extent that the government are, are making it seem as, as if it has. And if we're talking about comparing ourselves to other countries, what we know is that we are the one that's set to have the least growth. And everybody is is is, is across Europe in particular um, is is suffering the effects of general cost of living, uh, the fallout after COVID, and the energy crisis uh, from, from from coming out from the war between from, from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So if all of those other countries in Europe are suffering those effects, why are we the only ones um, that that have had no no growth? since since the end of since the pandemic um, has generally ended why are we the ones in this position well it's very very clear that it's because of brexit and one of the things that's really irked me about brexit is the fact that nobody wants to talk about it nobody wants to talk about the fact that it's all uh, gone horribly wrong and this is not about leave or remain. Uh, leave or remain um, is a conversation that we've had uh, again and again um, a, a few years ago, and, and it's very much done. This is about the disastrous deal that was put forward. Now, a lot of people think that in December 2020, members of parliament voted on a deal, and we were again told, you know, you're either going to vote for a deal or we're going to crash out of the EU. That's that's not what happened. We, were, we voted on an implementation agreement. The deal was done the day before uh, Boris Johnson um, and his incompetent ministers put the deal together with no say from those of us who are represented. We didn't even have an opportunity to, to, to look into it. So it's not about leave or remain. It's about the, the offer we got given. And, and a lot of the things um, that happened, including moving ourselves from the single market, including ending freedom of movement, including all of these different things, uh, particularly when it comes to services. I know there are a lot of... Um, providers in, in in my constituency and and people who 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 worked across Europe who don't have those opportunities um, anymore all of that's caused massive issues and quite literally brexit has led to us having higher prices of food in the supermarket um uk exports have gone down um trade overall is 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 disastrous but apparently we're not going to say what what the truth is and that, and that is that it's been it's been a complete mess um, and that's why you hear them some people talking about doing some kind of uh, swiss swiss uh, type deal or or, or something um of of, of the like but we're not going to move forward unless we accept uh the, the implications of brexit and and perhaps do what we can to work to change uh, what has happened Anytime anybody starts to talk about it, it seems like we're reverting back to the leave or remain argument, but it's very, very uh, basic. The way in which uh, we have this deal has been implemented, it isn't working. And, and we need to look at that. The government the government can can change things um, if they want to. Uh, if we look at what they're trying to do now with the Northern Ireland Protocol, there are a range of different things we can see. They seem to have the power uh, to change, but they're willing to pretend as if nothing's happened to save face, even if the people of this country are suffering uh, from the effects of it. So yes, absolutely. Definitely issues uh, coming out from the pandemic, definitely issues following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, but every other country in Europe is weathering the storm. We simply can't because we've left our biggest trading partner and we're not willing to talk about what's gone wrong with it. Uh, Tom, would you like to, to give us your thoughts? As I say, I could see you nodding along to Bell there. The question of kind of how we how we got here and and 
where the responsibility lies. A lot of that, I think, is is sits outside of my area of expertise and and pay grade. But I think like um, it 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 obviously is clear, and 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 no one can really deny that 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 the Ukraine war has had a huge impact, um, uh, particularly on energy prices, but also on food prices as well. Um, I think what uh, what feels kind of salient to me, um, and I can speak to probably. Um, uh, with a greater level of expertise is what it has revealed um, about our energy system and about our benefit system and about um, um, kind of the state of um, people's finances more broadly. Um, so I think that the first thing is is, is, is that it's really revealed is, is, is we really need to um, address our reliance on natural gas and fossil fuels more broadly. Um, and, and, you know, one way to, to, to achieve the, the way to achieve um, both our net zero goals, um, but also energy security is is through investment in in um, in renewable energy um, and storage. Um, so that's one thing I'd really like to emphasise. Another is I think um, that that has become very clear um, and that we've known for a long time, but I think now now becomes an urgent issue um, is 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 the um, energy efficiency of our housing stock. So we have some of the worst. Um, energy efficient um, homes in, in, in Europe. Um, and that is particularly the case in, in, in places like the private rental sector. So it, I don't think it's never been more um, urgent, um, both from a cost of living perspective, but also from a um, uh, net zero um, goals perspective for us to urgently um, upgrade our housing stock. And, and, and that requires um, investment, but it also requires um, sort of guidance from the centre uh, clear advice for people and, and crucially actually like when we think about poor energy efficiency a huge amount of that is in the private rental sector um, so we really need to empower um, people in the private rental sector or or incentivize landlords to make those changes to their homes um, and, and that's how we're going to kind of fix these things in the long term the other um, kind of thing that I think was was really highlighted by um, uh, by the cost of living crisis but particularly the energy crisis um, is just how um, unresilient our energy retail market is to these kind of shocks. So, for example, um, the, the biggest example of that is like it, it, what it's really highlighted is um, within our market, lots of energy suppliers were pricing at really unrealistically low prices um, and, and running unsustainable business models that were predicated on gas prices staying low, and they didn't. Um, and, and obviously, the most extreme example of that is, is with bulb. Um, and and we'd been raising alarms about this kind of pricing and this kind of irresponsible um, management of energy companies for a long, long time. Um, and and Ofgem didn't heed that advice. Um, and now the taxpayer is being saddled with a six point five billion pound bill um, because of the way that bulb was managed. So I think um, the thing I'd really like to say is like it 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 emphasises just how seriously um, we need to take um, the regulation of these markets. Um, a lot of a lot of the kind of indicators of, of these things being poorly run actually were in the customer service of these companies. Um, so we just need to, I, I think, going forward, um, Ofgem's approach to compliance and regulation really, really needs to improve if we're going to protect people. Um, uh, I'm going to end there. I feel like I'm, I've um, I've slightly taken it in a, di in a different direction, but um, I think those are kind of the lessons that I've learned from the crisis. Lovely. Thank you. Jan, did you have anything to add to that? No, I think um, absolutely right, Tom. Um, as I said before, the government needs to get a grip and it needs to look at, uh, you know, affordable, sustainable energy 
And while it's doing that, it needs to really regulate in favour of the customer, not the energy provider. Um, and I think I won't talk about Brexit. We don't have a policy, but uh, I would agree with Bell that the conversation that needs to go on now is not about leave or remain. It's about what is good and what is bad about the deal we've got and how we can put it right. Lovely. Thanks. OK, so we've had a few questions in from people. So just making sure that we stay to time. Um, I think we'll turn to those now if uh, if you're all happy to do that. So the first question we have is, will we look back at austerity and realise it was a big cause of our troubles today? Absolutely. I think that's 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 uh, perhaps the easiest one word answer. If they'd want more um, explanation, it's it's clear that where you where you invest more in in public good, you actually yield more. If people uh, had better pay, if there were better services, uh, people would be able to use them better. Uh, more would be put into them. There'd be more investment, and more would come back to the public coffers, and it'd be better for everybody. That's that's just basically it. Austerity. Uh, was a bad idea. It hasn't benefited anybody, hasn't benefited the economy. I would agree with Belle, but, um, you know, if you start um, freezing the wages of public servants, yeah, uh, and you also then put in measures that end up cutting people away from that service because it they take staff away, people are made redundant, that money doesn't circulate the economy again, yeah? So your economy shrinks. And I cannot, for the life of me, understand why this government doesn't see that investment pays, right? Like Bell said, if you invest in your public service, right, you're investing in the population of your country. The population of the country is... Um, better better in better health um so you're investing in the economy and that economy rolls around it's like older people using their bus passes right they use their bus pass to go and see family and friends <laughs> or go shopping yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> sorry about that um so you know they're, they're on the bus they go and see their family their friends they might have a cup of tea a piece of cake whatever uh, they do their volunteering yeah, they go hospital visiting. And a lot of larger charities tell us that without older people volunteering, they couldn't actually manage. You stop all that, yeah, by making things too difficult and too costly uh, and people can't invest in the economy the way they are. So why local high, high streets are devoid of shops? You know, yes, COVID had a part to play with that going online, uh, but... Older people like to go and see the goods that they're buying and they can't anymore. So it's about reinvestment. If you don't reinvest, you get nothing back. Tom, did you want to come in on this one? I don't know whether you want to. Uh, the next question was going to be, and I wonder whether you uh, might want to bring them in together, but um, it's whether there's alternative models of support that could directly empower communities to, to lead on decision making. I'm happy to take the first the first one or like a version of the first one. Um, I think um, I'll leave the second one to, to other people. But I think um, uh, in terms of the question of austerity, I think like what what is clear to me is is kind of looking forward. Um, um, 
is is we've talked a lot i think about the kind of um the urgent sharp end of the cost of living crisis but i think something that's increasingly worrying us at citizens advice um and that we're um going to be tracking more and more particularly over, as we get into um the christmas period which is a is a serious problem for that for this issue is is debt so i think like what we do know is that the, it once you get into debt it is very hard to get out of debt so keep if if we're not providing people the sufficient um support that they need now um and they end up in debt that causes really really long-term issues and and kind of economic scarring um and and, and what i would kind of want to emphasize is that is the cost of, of even even getting out of debt so it costs something like 600 pounds um to file for bankruptcy um or, or um, um it's also very expensive for an insolvency order and things like that so i think what what we're concerned about is, is that if we don't address this problem now, it has knock-on effects down the line for years, if not decades, for lots of people's lives. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's not it's not a question of just now. It is a question of looking to the future. Um, and then I think um, I will leave the second question for anyone else who wants to jump in on it. So, yeah, the second question uh, is, um, is, are there alternative models of support that could directly empower communities to lead on decision-making? Well, was that one that maybe you might like to take as a as a politician? <laughs> um, I'm, 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 I, but my first thought about alternative models of support, um, I thought about universal basic income, uh, but and, and I think that that would make a massive difference overall in in terms of people being able um, to make their own decisions on where they spend their money. But in terms of models of, of actual uh, decision making, I'm, I'm I am I, I really do believe. Uh, some of the best examples of where things have have gone better uh, have been when more more uh, more onus has been put on 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 um, people working within their or local authorities. Different areas of the country have different needs, um, and where local authorities have had more power to do certain things, they've been able to achieve a lot more. Um, I think about the Preston model and I think about how that's worked. I think I think about um, areas in where they've been at, they've, they've been empowered more to be able to build more housing. That's made a massive difference. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if that's where they were, they were going for in terms of, of, of communities making uh, more, more decision making. But that more localised model of working has made a massive difference a lot of the time. Um, whenever things are decided by the government in terms of what's been ring ring fenced because of austerity and because of handing down particular measures in terms of what's allowed to be spent on what it's very very diff difficult uh, for local communities to be able to i suppose tailor what it is um that's needed needed by them perhaps um quite simply based on the demographics of of the population and what their needs are but i think uh you know belgium this is where leveling up comes in isn't it where there's a uh, and then input of funding that will hopefully be of benefit to local people. But I think in the main, it is about local people uh, engaging themselves with the things that, that matter. Uh, and we always advocate that uh, if there's something wrong and you don't like it, then you speak about it and you do something about it. Um, and that's where most of our campaigns come from uh, in our regions, because they are local uh, to each area. But 
overall, I think the public do need to have a much, much better, more open, democratic kind of conversation with their local authorities and with the government. Um, that does not happen uh, because it, we're seen to not have the understanding. Uh, why don't we have the understanding? We live it. We don't have uh, a millionaire's salary. We don't have you know, a billionaire's salary. We are living where we can best. And in the communities that we live in, uh, it's about community support to make things happen. So I think there's um, how you actually structure that is quite difficult. But um, from the point of view of older people, um, we engage where where we feel that there's a, a reason to engage. Um, and Bell might have actually received some letters from some of our members in your constituency, particularly about the triple lock, and you'll be getting some more about other issues. But um, I welcome them. <laughs> yeah, that's the way that we engage through that political system is through our MPs. Um, and some MPs are very good. Uh, some um, disagree with what we're doing, so don't don't go anywhere. But over the triple lock, I have to say, we had quite a, an overwhelming uh, amount of support from all parties, not just uh, the, you know uh, the party that um, people would expect us to be allied to. We're not. We're a non-party affiliated organisation. And if Labour were doing what the government, Conservative government is doing now, you'd be seeing us at your door. You know. Um, so I think it is about the engagement that people. Uh, feel they can have and it's about educating where that engagement can be and I think that's down to local authorities yeah and, and the local councillors who should be welcoming engagement should be asking the questions and looking at the answers yeah and there does need to be a model uh, of where people can engage and I think certainly in Newcastle it was happening before Covid after Covid I'm not so sure and that might be the case across the country. Yeah. I was just to say on that, um, the number of people that elect a local councillor or even an MP are really not representative of even those registered to vote, let alone the actual amount of people living in an area. So you can have um, a rough example, uh, an electorate in, in, in an area that might have 12,000 people. And if you're lucky, 1,500 participate in... Um, in, in, in a particular election for councillors in that ward. Uh, and the same goes with, with MPs in terms of percentage. It's slightly higher because general elections tend to have more people voting is, in them. But the reality is we often have a government for which less than 40% of the population voted for. And right now we have a prime minister uh, which 0.0 something percent of the population, oh no, they didn't even vote for him. That's it. Um, it was decided by, uh, so that's 0.000. If you decide the number of uh, Conservative MPs that eventually coronated our current Prime Minister. So electoral system um, and our democracy overall is broken in that it doesn't necessarily engage everybody. And I think if, if we did, you'd have better representatives and you'd have better representation. Yeah, I agree. Having worked with local politicians and um, and, and um, MPs as well, they all 
appreciate and feel that they have a mandate when people speak to them. So even if you didn't vote for your elected politician, I always think that if you speak to them, they still represent you and they still feel they have a mandate um, if their local people um, actually make them aware of their feelings. I'm looking at the time, so because we started five minutes past and just the last question, I thought if we make this one short, but maybe try and make it positive um, as well. Um, the, la the last question I thought we'd deal with is people are suffering and feeling powerless. What can we do? And I wonder if we just finish on that question and um, and maybe try and, um, and just leave with a little bit of hope um, that there is some support out there and we do understand what uh, what people are, are going through. Does anybody want to feel feel positive and want to take that one as a sign off? Lovely, Jan's feeling positive. <laughs> yeah, I think um, people people should understand that they can make a difference. I think people think when everything's going wrong like this, what can we do? You can do something. You know, you can change it. Um, tomorrow, there's a big demonstration in London uh, with the Fuel Property Action Coalition. Um, it's down in Parliament Square. If you live in London, get down there, half past 10 at the Methodist Church in Westminster. Um, the MPC will be holding a small but very nice demonstration on the 8th of December when we expect the winter deaths figures to come out. Yeah, uh, Every year they come out. They should be out in November, but they've been delayed like everything else. Uh, we'll be there uh, on Parliament Square. Please join us. And I think if if you are really, really interested in what the MPC does, come join us, but join some group, join Fuel Poverty Action, join Keep Our NHS Public. All of these groups are working on your behalf and campaigning on your behalf. Um, so don't sit there thinking you can't do anything. You can. One letter to an MP can absolutely make massive changes so think about what your issues are think about who you contact think about who you join uh, and just do it because it feels good when you've done it lovely thanks jan tom have you got a quick last line before we sign off sure yeah i mean um i agree with everything jan said i think i think the only thing i would add is just to say to people like that that it is a really time hard time for lots of people and 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 you're not alone like there are services out there that can help you um citizens advice obviously is one of them um but there are lots of other specialist advice services as well um so so like don't don't suffer alone and do reach out um a good place to start is our website um but there is support out there and and and, and there are people that can help you lovely thanks tom and bell and, and just just to go on from what's been, what what Jan was saying before, uh, people are winning. Um, and I like to talk about some of our trade unions who have won their fights uh, for better pay. As you know, across a lot of, of, of different services, there've been massive pay cuts and and big bosses attempting to bullying, to attempting attempting to bully people um, into accepting uh, pay rises that aren't in line with inflation. But we've seen wins uh, from the, the dockers in Liverpool uh, to to the C uh, CWU um, communications workers with BT. They banded together. Uh, they fought together with their trade unions and, and they've won. And when people do come together in that way, make a clear demand and have the support of, of their groups and communities, they can make a difference. Um, and, and, you know, as Jan said, so, so can you. So there, there, there is hope uh, and hopefully there'll be a general election soon.
Lovely. Well, thank you very much to our panel. And um, and I think uh, we can all uh, agree that we have had a wonderful discussion about a very difficult topic. But um, stay hopeful, stick together and uh, look after each other, I think, and take care. So there is there is help out there. So do seek it if you need it. And thank you for joining us. And that's our podcast. You can uncover more for yourself about what we do by visiting our website at goodlawproject.org. Sign up to our mailing list and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.